Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, first up, we'll take a look at the business stories that are making an impact on the front pages and indeed the business pages of this morning's papers. Joining me this morning are Louisa Meehan of Woodview HRM and also Joe Brennan. He's the markets correspondent with the Irish Times. You're very welcome to the programme, folks. Good morning. Uh, Joe, we might start with you. Um, Front page of your own paper, indeed. Uh, Investigation to include RT slush fund. Um, I have to say, I'm, I'm... I'm almost surprised by the level of coverage that this uh, story is generating, particularly in the press, uh, where it just seems to have no end. Yeah, I think if we thought this is going to be like a 24-hour or even a, a phenomenon that would kind of end maybe over the weekend following kind of uh, the Sunday papers, uh, I think everyone was wrong. It was dragged into this week, obviously, with the uh, appearances before the Oireachtas, uh, various Oireachtas committees by uh, members of, of RT and a lot of questions answered and not answered. Uh, yeah. And this will continue. And I think we'll see into in, into next week, we'll have the, the, the government outlining the, the terms of reference for an external uh, review of the of of the corporate governance of of um, uh, RTE, and we'll have. <clears throat> I think there's there's. Um, I think the Oireachtas Media Committee are looking to have uh, Tuberty Ryan Tuberty, the, the presenter at the centre of this, and his agent brought in before them as well as soon as next week. So a lot there will be a lot of news flow from this over the over the over the coming weeks. My my colleague um, uh, Jack Horgan Jones reporting this morning that in, uh, Grant Thornton was brought were brought in at a very early stage to look at the uh, the overpayments or the hidden payments to to Ryan Tuberty over the years. Uh, he's saying that the next focus will be on the slush funds and and looking back over the last ten years, not just uh, the use of it in recent years to top up the pay of 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 of, of Ryan Tuberty. Um, so that's going to be the, the It's hard to see any upside for either Noel Kelly or Ryan Tuberty appearing before any uh, public accounts committee. Absolutely, but I think that the pressure is on them to uh, to at least at least come out and account for for what happened uh, to be able to kind of uh, join answer more of the questions and join more more of the dots. Um, more interestingly, as well, we see that the Rockers Media Committee is looking to go after the uh, the toy show, the, uh, the 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 musical, the toy show that. Uh, that was a bit of a flop um, there last year. So going after that as well and looking to find out the expenditure around that as well. Um, Louisa, I've picked out two opinion pieces on this subject, one by uh, Mandy Johnson, who is a colleague here at the station, um, and former press secretary to Bertie Ahern, who says, uh, with its misplaced superiority complex destroyed, RT must start all over again. Yeah, Mandy is certainly quite uh, scathing, I suppose, in relation to, in relation to the relationship between Orty and the government. And she calls out the fact that when the government are, are paying the bill, uh, can Orty really be questioning the the government in terms of what they've been doing, and then vice versa when Orty are relying on the government for funds? Um, that there's just you know, that it's it's quite a, a complicated relationship. She talks about the staff and I thought it was quite interesting when she said that they felt like sacrificial lambs. And I think really it's the ordinary staff member in RTE who is quite harmed by what's happening, where the governance for the ordinary staff member is, is very serious. And, and yet they're seeing people in other positions where the governance is lacklustre. Yeah, well, she also points out, and I think quite fairly, that maintaining editorial impartiality is not an easy thing to do 
when you're banging down the door for cash. She also yes. suggests that it's not a great leap to suggest that the licence fee honeypot has been bankrupted. These are two serious issues now uh, for RT and where they go from there because if their income stream, whatever le- income stream is there, is under pressure. Uh, and also I think there are so many people waiting in the long grass for RT, as Matt Cooper points out in his column. We've got politicians who, again, have a, a curious relationship with RT, uh, given that they, you know, they've been, you know, basically cut and diced by them yeah. at certain times. <laughs> and now there's all these people coming out, the media, indeed, um, the the newspapers, you know, RT were always able to discount the advertising. So, and undercut them, yes. Yeah. So there's so many people out there who really want to bash RT you know, now I, that they're on the ropes. One thing that Matt Cooper calls out is the fact that now the, some of the politicians are seeing it as their opportunity to get their own back after being ha- asked tough questions. And whilst RTE should have to account for governance, I'm like, actually, I want my stake broadcaster to be asking my politicians the really tough questions. That's why we want to have them there. We want them to be impartial and to do that. So I don't think it should be an opportunity for politicians to get their own back yeah. if they've had a tough time being interviewed by but a I think that's the world broadcaster. You know, um, but, but Matt also kind of points out, you know, over the years, various governments have pushed out and long fingered actually dealing with the, the issue of funding of RTE as yeah. well. And the temptation is, and actually the, the, the government has pressed the pause button again, uh, in relation to the future funding model as a result of this. So it's 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 handy enough for the government because it's going to lead to unpopular decisions at the end of, of course the day it well. is. And he's saying, you know, if essentially it's 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 while RT needs to be totally uh, overhauled, it structurally needs to be overhauled, it needs to learn some humility. Uh, it has a role uh, and uh, in public ser- and the role for public server- service broadcasting is, is very important. And the, the baby shouldn't be thrown out with the bath, bath water. In, and I think it's going to be interesting how that actually ends up getting dissected. You know, the public broadcasting piece versus the commercial piece. Because it, it appears to me, with the way this is going, that the current model is absolutely unsustainable. His summary, Joe, um, really, he says, Hawhey, Ahern, the church, you know, they all had their place in Irish society. They all had their fall from grace. And now it's RTE's turn. Yeah, and and all, you know, to some extent still have a role to play in Irish society. And they're saying that RTE will continue to have a role, must continue to have a role in, in Irish society as well. Um, we'll, uh, we'll move on, Joe. And when I have you there, um, NAMA is selling uh, the remaining Irish gas bottle site stake to Oak Tree and Johnny Ronan. This is an important, I think, development uh, for a number of reasons. Firstly, you might just give us a brief history of the glass bottle site, because it, it's worth putting it in context. Yeah, so the, the glass bottle site exactly is exactly what it was. It, it was the the site in Poolbeg in in, in Dublin for um, uh, for uh, what was the old glass bottle uh, factory that was closed down in the early noughties. Uh, the company behind it uh, sold uh, the the underlying site to a group of investors. Um, uh, uh, Bernard McNamara, the the uh, the the, the um, yeah. boomtime developer, as well as the DAA and and Derek Quinlan, the uh, financier, the, the the real estate financier, uh, big names back in, in in the boom days as well. Um, they bought that. I think it was about four hundred over four hundred million uh, four hundred million euros back in two thousand and five, two thousand and six, and we know the crash happened as well. Yeah. Beside that site, we had also a 12-acre. So that was a 25-acre site. Beside that, it was a 12-acre site, and that was owned by Liam Carroll. 
also someone who uh, came a cropper um, as a result of the uh, of, of, of the property crash. Both of those sites or loans associated with both those sites ended up in NAMA. Uh, and NAMA had receivers appointed that, to that uh, 2011, 2012 um, and, and uh, went about trying to sell off the site. Um, two, three years ago, back in 2020, um, they sold a, an 80% stake of the site to a consortium involving Oak Tree, which is the, the, the US uh, private equity firm. Uh, also Johnny Ronan, uh, another Boomtime uh, developer. And uh, Linecore, which is a development, a property development company, which is half owned by Oak Tree as well. Right. And we've seen, so that, that value of that deal was, the 80% was about 200 million. So a huge, obviously, cut from what the original uh, value of the site was back in the in the noughties. Um, but NAMA retained a twenty percent stake. Now there's been progress, obviously, since then by the by the uh, the, the the consortium behind it. Um, they have started building. I think it basically has uh, the, the kind of map for the uh, the site is about three thousand eight hundred homes. Twenty five percent of those. Um, either social or, or affordable housing, and as I well. think that's why because it's it's probably the biggest piece of land that's come available in in a long time. You're right; it's probably halved in value, but there's potential of for three thousand eight hundred homes here. Yeah, and that's why it's so significant. Yeah, so they've started some of those, of course, being social. And affordable. Yeah, so they've started building on that in, in, in May. So a lot of progress has been made since Oak Tree and, and, and uh, Johnny Rowan's company, uh, Rowan Group Real Estate, took over, the, took over the majority of the site um, three years ago. They've started building on that site. They have planning for about up to, now they're planning for about 800, 900 homes. At this stage, they've ha- had issues with kind of yeah. subsequent kind of uh, planning applications in, in recent times, but the expectation is they'll go back again in, in relation to that. But NAMA has been a non-natural home holder of this. NAMA is in wind down. Uh, so it appears NAMA uh, received an approach from the other members of the consortium uh, in recent times and agreed to sell the site. We don't know uh, what price uh, NAMA actually got for, for its stake. Will we know that? It could come out at some stage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very interesting. I think I'll watch that space with interest. Uh, Louisa, what about uh, Amazon Prime uh, Air slashing cargo flights with Dublin base ASL? They're a they're a big company, uh, move an awful lot of freight by air. Um, there seems to be some implication that is, this may be connected with some downturn in uh, in internet sales, but I think that's fine, kind of tenuous. Yeah, I would agree. And I think it's certainly a cost reduction exercise. They are reducing it. There's a couple of the airplanes that are, that are going out of service, so they're not replacing those. Um, the job losses that are in place in relation to the 28 pilots, they're based in Germany. So from an Irish context... I don't think it's going to have a massive impact here, but I would wonder, is it to do with a reduction in sales or is it about being more efficient with the aeroplanes that they have? And I would think it's probably more to do with the latter because the aeroplanes can hold a serious amount of cargo. And I would think that it's actually more about being efficient in the usage of that than it is about reducing the the sales. Uh, Joe, this is an interesting company. Um, the airline group generated revenue of over a billion in 2021. Um, 
So it's a significant operation, but it's not a business we hear a lot about. No, and it's it's a cargo operator. It's not one of the sexy um, airlines um, that we would know as as consumers. But I mean, it it doesn't just have, it's not uh, just um, Amazon uh, that it actually deals with. It deals with FedEx and DHL and others as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, there was 1.1 billion of of, of revenues uh, back in 2021. Um, Significant, significant operation. Um, I suppose, look, there is, there is, there are other reasons. Well, for for the decline we've seen, you know, obviously during uh, COVID, there was a big demand. People couldn't leave their homes when they were spending. They were spending it on goods. We all uh, saw um, the vans pulling outside up outside our neighbours' homes. And Unfortunately, you still see them outside <laughs> my house. <laughs> Uh, pulling up uh, outside neighbours' homes and, and bringing in bringing in big boxes uh, of things that were were acquired, Th- that's still happening, but probably to a lesser extent. People can actually buy, and people are spending more, uh, having spending more money on services uh, increasingly uh, yeah. as we came out of COVID. But also, um, aside from that, the structural uh, the structural change there. We also have a cyclical change in terms of uh, the cost of living crisis and people being kind of more careful what they're spending as well. Sure. Uh, Louisa, poor infrastructure could hinder investment, warms uh, for, former IDA head Martin Shanahan. He's probably a little bit uh, freer to speak about these things now since he's Absolutely. left the organisation. But he does make some very valid points. He does. He really does. And I think it's it's not, it wasn't a surprise to me when you sort of hear, see the headline. Um, he's talking about the importance of us remaining attractive for new multinational organisations to come into Ireland. And then that is something that we really need to focus on, as well as keeping the ones that we have. And he's saying that whilst there's a lot of talk about the tax and the rate of tax that's paid, actually those large multinationals, you know, it is relevant, but it's not always the most relevant thing. And he calls out, as you said, the issues in relation to the infrastructure and lack of investment in our core infrastructure. And I'm sure within that he's talking about stuff like our uh, transportation, hubs be that, motorways, um, airports, whatever that might be. But also, very importantly, broadband and the importance of broadband throughout the country in terms of large multinational organisations who have people connecting remotely, wanting to work throughout the country and then connecting with organisations multinationally, you know, across many different you know, countries. Yeah. So he is right, I think, that we need to invest some of the surplus that we have in the budget in our infrastructure. Interesting him saying that uh, he he's seen little adverse reaction from multinationals to the likelihood that some will see their profits taxed at 15% next year, up from the 12.5%. Yeah, but I suppose that's because Ireland has moved with other countries yeah. uh, and have signed up to it. And, and, and Ireland was actually one of the laggards in the early stages of yeah. the conversations, want to be seen, not to be jumping on board with it too soon, wanted to get certain uh, certainly, uh, certain kind of agreements ahead of that as well. I just didn't think in terms of this, this is, I mean, what he said, um, yes, he's out, he's no longer in the IDA, you can say more forcefully, but these are also things that he would have highlighted uh, privately to government and have, you know, come out yeah. uh, in FOI, Freedom of Information, uh, information that's been released. Uh, so it's not... It's not new information in terms no. of what he's told government, but he's been, he is obviously outside of the idea allowed to... Yeah, he now works clearly. for uh, Accountants Grant, Grant, Grant Thornton. Grant Thornton, is it? Yeah. Um, Louisa, family businesses, uh, you know, they really are the lifeblood of the business, of, of the country, should I say. Seven in ten uh, businesses out there are family-run, delivering $19 billion to the Exchequer. Uh, three of these said businesses are highlighted today. 
in the Irish Times. Yeah, I mean, look, it really does. It, it sort of warms your cockles when you read the story because it highlights the importance of these businesses that are around for a very long time and they pass down through through the generations. And I think what's interesting with the three businesses that are highlighted is the Louis Copeland store, which most people will know, um, the Monaghan's Cashmere, which has been handed from father to yeah. daughter, and um, the Fitz, Fitzsimons Insulation, again, which has been handed down from um, a brother and sister, from, sorry, handed down to a brother and sister from their parents. But what you see with all of those businesses and when they talk through the stories is that the incoming generations are working really hard from the ground up. And in the story, they talk a little bit to the succession planning and the importance of succession planning in family businesses. And that whilst somebody may be a member of their family and feel entitled to inheriting the business, that does not mean that they are qualified to run the business. And these ones that are successful are ensuring that the individuals coming in have the qualification, skill, experience to do that. And they're doing that in Louis Copeland's uh, situation. He's 74, working six days a week, but his 17-year-old grandson is coming in, helping out and building up that skill set from a very young age. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting. Um, I think it was Eddie Shanahan who who, uh, who uh, commented, saying that entitlement, as you say, is not a qualification. I think that's a, a very good point. But, you know, we're seeing as well, are we not, you know, every week on this show, we're seeing end of an era now as Edge and Sons Hardware store to close after 106 years in business. So while, you know, the passing on from generation to generation is, you know, it, it's, it is positive, it is warm. Yeah. But the reality is They're that closing. a lot of these bus- businesses are closing down. And I think what's interesting when you read the story, I mean, it's a lovely story again from Victor Edge. Again, he's 77, so it's, fair that he's retiring. I think he's, he's done well. Um, but in this situation, he has two daughters. They don't seem to be interested in following into that line um, of business. So they it's a hardware store. They're a teacher and a medical scientist. And what stands out to me is that there wasn't a way for him to sell this on to another family. Because sometimes maybe the family, you know, passing it down, he didn't have a son, Edge and Sons. So maybe there wasn't somebody within the family. But the ability to sell it on and for it to remain as a family business and a hardware store seems to be lost in that he's selling the building and the building has more value than the business. And that's quite sad. And he also says, I think it's important to say it, I'm very happy with that as makes things a little bit easier. Absolutely. That he doesn't have to give it to his daughters. Yes. Uh, Joe, Apple, again, the, the numbers here are eye-watering. Um, so there's three zero four zero and then nine zeros after that, which is effectively over three trillion which is the value of Apple, and it's almost the same GDP as France. Like, yeah. these numbers are just staggering. Yeah, well, numbers around Apple are always staggering. I was always surprised, I mean, reporting on the Apple tax case in, in Ireland uh, and, and the 13 billion, which is a staggering amount of money. Uh, I used to kind of listen in or, or read transcripts of analysts uh, calls for Apple um, o- over the years. And I was always surprised by the lack of questions from analysts uh, in relation to the Irish Apple tax case, we thought it was a huge sum. But you see the sums we see around and the figures we see around Apple, we can understand why. This is a company that last year uh, made a, a hundred billion, or close to a hundred billion uh, a, a tax 
uh, sorry, uh, uh, profit uh, l- last year. So it's a, it's a massive, massive. Well, even company. the share price rise of fifty four percent. So that's a doubling. Yeah. So of of the value. Yeah, in so, one year. Yeah. So it had touched that um, early last year um, before Ukraine, and obviously there was a huge amount of money going into capital markets as a result of, of COVID. Um, so we had a, a huge jump in tech stocks back in 2021. Last year we saw a, a, a big pullback in that when interest rates started to kind of cro- uh, started yeah. increasing, and we saw the companies, the tech companies that had done very well in the uh, during the kind of inflationary environment uh, underperform and, and hit very badly. Um, as a result of uh, rising interest rates and the expectation of rising interest rates. We've seen a reversal of that in the first half of this year. We've seen, uh, and particularly more recently, because the the expectation is that while uh, rates have, have continued to increase this year, they're beginning to kind of peter out. And there are question marks over where the Fed, the, the, the US Federal Reserve, will, will move next with, with, with interest rates. So that's seen kind of the large cap uh, tech, technology uh, stocks uh, increase quite dramatically in, in, in recent times including Apple. Yeah, yeah, no, fascinating story. But um, I think there's a comparison made uh, with the Dutch East India Company that was around Mm. in the 1630s. Apparently, its value today would be nine trillion. uh, And that was the first uh, publicly traded company. So I think when you... uh, That maybe Put into perspective. (laughs) Isn't as valuable as we thought. (laughs) Uh, Louisa, um, how your favourite iced coffee contains more sugar than a Mars bar. Uh, should we be surprised about this? Probably not. Um, I, I'm feeling very happy that I don't like any kind of coffee, so I don't drink any of these drinks. But the average Mars bar has seven and a half teaspoons and the various, and now they are sweet iced coffees from um, Starbucks, Cafe Nero and Costa are ranging from 10.5 teaspoons all the way up to 12 teaspoons. Of so sugar, we of must sugar, say. Of yeah. sugar, yes. Of sugar, uh, not of coffee. And a can of Coke is eight and a half teaspoons of sugar. So there you go. You can nearly um, have your can of Coke and your uh, and your Mars bar and you'd be grand. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, I think if, if people... But there are wonderful uh, zero-calorie syrups out there that you can use. Uh, I know exactly. Monon have an amazing range of them. So you can get zero-calorie, you know, caramel syrups, yep. vanillas, all those. And just ask for those. They all stock yep. them. The reality is most of the things that are really nice like this, there's some part of them that's not good for you. You just have to pick your battles and which ones are you willing to, to go for and which ones are you going to sacrifice not having it and eat the apple instead? So, Joe, you prefer a Mars bar to a caramel frappuccino, is that I, I, it? I take the Mars bar first, yeah, and a, and a nice black coffee as well. <laughs> there you go. There's a man, a, a, a measured response to that. So um, thanks very much, folks. Louisa Meehan uh, from Woodview, uh, HRM, Joe Brennan, Markets correspondent with the Irish Times. Thanks so much. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.